hey church, thanks for tuning in. My name is Clint, I'm a campus pastor at our Brentwood location. Today we begin a brand new series called Seen and Known, which is gonna take us all the way through Christmas to the end of 2020. Let me say that again, to the end of 2020. How does that sound? This crazy year is coming to an end in less than five weeks. Now, before we start thinking about popping the Martinelli's and changing over the calendar, let me challenge us to consider something else first. What if we changed our perspective for the next five weeks? What if we chose to see 2020 not as a horrible year that we cannot wait to get past, but as a year that we're never gonna forget? Because God challenged us and grew us and offered us new ways to depend on Him more than we ever have before. That's one of the goals of this new series, that as we celebrate Advent together, it would bring us brand new perspective. It would cause us to slow down enough to see and know how God is moving and working and changing us for good during this season. But here's the deal. If we wanna be changed by God for good, sometimes we have to do things that are difficult, which brings us to our topic for today, gratitude. If we're gonna see and know God's goodness, especially in the middle of hard seasons, it starts with what we just celebrated this past week, Thanksgiving. If you have a Bible, open up to Psalm chapter 136. Now, as you're turning there, I wanna talk a little bit about the significance of gratitude, because I think this virtue alone has, some of, uh, has lost some of its, its value in our culture today. I don't know about you, but outside of Thanksgiving Day, uh, Thanksgiving and gratitude is not something that I think much about, especially lately. In fact, if I'm honest, this year I've probably identified more with the opposite traits of gratitude. Things like negativity and criticism have become my default mode. This hit me pretty hard the other day when I went to a restaurant for the first time in six months. As soon as my wife and I sat down, we were both so grateful to be there together in this restaurant. We thought, wow, this is so incredible. We're never gonna take this for granted ever again. Yeah, that feeling lasted about two minutes. Then the complaints and the negativity and the criticism started to take over my mind. Oh, I wish the, the music would be turned up a little bit. I wish they didn't put these tables so close together. Is our waiter here yet? Is he gonna serve us? What's going on? I kid you not, grumbling overtook my heart no more than five minutes after sitting down. How does that happen? How do we become so quick to lose our heart of gratitude? My guess is that a lot of you can relate. Maybe you're not that stuck-up customer like I am, but be honest. Would you say you're quicker to give thanks or to give critique? To be grateful or to grumble? How would, you or, or how, how would your spouse answer that question on your behalf? How would your children answer that question? How would your friends answer that question? My guess is that most of us struggle to have a consistent heart of gratitude. And that's not good because gratitude is one of the most essential virtues of the Christian faith. In fact, it's so essential that without it, our hearts will eventually turn and run from God. This is exactly what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness. They got into the habit of overlooking God's faithfulness in their life. 
even though he had just freed them from 400 years of slavery, even though he had just parted the Red Sea so they could cross on dry ground, even though he rained down manna from heaven every single day, even though he struck a rock and, and water came out from it, it was never enough. They only chose to see what they didn't have. This spirit of grumbling and ingratitude and negativity, it became their default mode. And eventually it completely destroyed their trust in God. So much so that when it came time to enter the promised land, they didn't have the faith to do it. Because see, they got into the habit of overlooking God's faithfulness. And this is why Paul urges us later on in the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, he says, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul says, gratitude is a big deal. Having a spirit of gratefulness is essential to our relationship with God. So the question becomes, how do we get there? How do we get past this critical mindset that can destroy us and into the lifestyle of gratitude that Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 5? Well, I think Psalm 136 can help us. So let's read it and study it together. Psalm 136 verse one says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Okay, so right off the bat in this psalm, we noticed the writer, he uses repetition. After every line of thanks, he ends with the phrase, his love endures forever. And this chorus, it continues throughout the entire psalm. All 26 verses end the same way with that one phrase, his love endures forever. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the purpose for this? Well, the purpose is that the psalmist is trying to teach us our first lesson that repetition is the key to living a lifestyle of gratitude. Or to say it another way, we have to graduate from an occasional attitude of gratitude into a habit of gratitude. We have to move from feeling grateful to being grateful. See, there's a difference. Attitudes and feelings, they're inconsistent. They're occasional because they're based off our circumstances but habits are based on our choice. Habits we can choose even when our feelings don't follow. Going back to the Israelites in the wilderness, this was their main issue. It's not that they never gave thanks, it's just that they only gave thanks when they felt thankful. But as soon as that feeling went away, that's when the grumbling settled back in. We see this with little kids all the time, right? You don't have to teach a child to say thank you when they rip open the toy that they've been asking for on Christmas morning. No, they scream with joy. They scream with gratefulness and we take out our smartphones and we film that because we love that reaction. But what about when they don't get the toy they asked for or when their brother gets the bigger one? As parents, our job is to get our kids to still be grateful, even in those moments. See, we're trying to teach them to mature into this lifestyle of gratitude. Because it's okay to, to throw a tantrum and struggle with this when you're three. But what about when you're 23 
or 33 or 53. And see, that's what the psalmist is trying to do here with repetition. He's showing us the need to mature into a habit of gratitude. So how do we do this? Well, we follow the outline of the psalm. We don't have time to read all of 26 verses, but what it is is it's a history of God's acts of salvation towards his people. Verses four through nine, it, it recounts God's creation and, and how beautiful and how marvelous and how splend, all of his splendor of his creation. Verses 10 through 15, it recounts his acts of deliverance from slavery and oppression in Egypt. Verse 16 is a single verse about how God led them through the wilderness. Then verse 17 through 22 recall God's faithfulness in the battles that they faced. And then those final four verses, it just concludes the psalm by recounting everything back in the reverse order, finishing off in verse 26 where it says, Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. In other words, the way we mature into a lifestyle of gratitude is by getting into the habit of recognizing God's enduring love every day in every situation. This is why for the next few weeks, you'll hear us talk about uh, this jar. Some of us at Cornerstone, we've began placing jars like this around our homes and around our offices. And the, the idea here is that as we go out throughout, as we go throughout our day, Whenever we see things or hear things that, that bring us gratefulness or joy, uh, we, we write it down and we put it in the jar. Then every once in a while, we stop and we read these things out loud to each other. And see, our hope is that this jar becomes our Psalm 136, that we would begin to see uh, God's enduring love every day around every corner in every situation. And it would develop in us this habit of gratitude. Okay, now, at this point, my guess is that some of you are inspired and you're, you're ready to go create your jar, but there might be others of you that are still on the fence, maybe a little skeptical. You might be thinking to yourself, Clint, that's not going to work for me. I've tried to get into that habit of gratitude. I've tried to be a more positive person, but it's just too hard. It's not going to work for me. I know that as soon as I hit that traffic tomorrow morning, my spirit is going to shift right back into negativity. As soon as I log back onto that Zoom call, my criticism, my criticism is going to come right back in. And listen, you're right. It is very hard to create this habit because it goes against all of our human nature. And we constantly face things that try to steal away our gratitude. But before you give up, Let's talk about those things. Let's look at some of the root causes of ingratitude and see how, how Psalm 136 can help us overcome them. The first root issue that tries to steal away our gratitude is familiarity. We get so used to the things in our lives that used to make us burst with gratitude and joy. And this causes us to take God's gifts for granted. It makes me think of the day that I drove my newborn son home from the hospital. When I installed that car seat in the back seat, I made sure that I did it right, right? I read all the directions, watched all the YouTube videos. I talked to all the on-site car seat experts at the hospital. Then when I started driving, I became ultra aware of the speed limit, the turn signals, uh, the stoplights. I was dialed in, man, 10 and two all the way home. Why? 
because I was hyper aware that I was driving the most precious gift in the backseat of my car. Fast forward to the other day, I was in a hurry and I loaded my boys in the, in the back seat and I, and I ran an errand to the store. And as I pulled into the parking lot, my oldest, set, my oldest son said from the back seat, dad, you forgot to buckle Ben in his car seat. <laughs> Crazy, right? I know before you start judging me, just bear with me here. How, how could I be so obsessed about his safety when he was born and then a few years later completely overlook it? Now, this doesn't happen all the time. It was just this one-time thing. But my point is, it happened because of familiarity. It happened because of routine. It happened because of busyness. I somehow took it for granted. And see, that's what happens to us when we overlook what God's doing in us and around us because it becomes familiar. And so we take it for granted. Which is exactly why when the psalmist begins to outline God's blessings over his people, he starts out in verse 4 by saying this, To him who alone does great wonders. If you have your Bible, underline that word, wonders. See, that word is the key because wonder is the opposite of familiarity. Wonder revives our hearts with gratitude. Wonder leads us to worship. This is why we're filming outside the studio today, because we wanted to get out of the familiarity, out of what we're used to, out of the routine, and step into the wonder of God's creation around us, which, come on, isn't this beautiful? Guys, we get to live here, those of us that live in the East Bay. These rolling hills, we get to call our backyard. And we can become obsessed with the high property taxes. We can complain about the traffic on 580 or Vasco. Or we can stop, look out the window, and obsess over the beauty of God's creation that we get to call home. So let me ask you, when's the last time you slowed down enough to see God's wonderful creation around you? You know, maybe that's what you need to do this week. Just take a slow walk in his creation. Just stand in awe for a little bit. Look at the hills or look at the sky or, or look at the ocean or the stars. Or maybe you just need to sit on your porch and you, you just need to watch your kids play. Turn off the phone, turn off the game and just watch the joy and the innocence and the beauty of your kids playing and laughing and stand in wonder of how God created them specifically for your family. Or maybe for you, it's, it's looking into the mirror And instead of focusing on all the imperfections that you normally see, try looking through a lens of wonder. Try noticing how God created you perfectly unique from everyone else. How he knows every hair on your head or lack of hair. How he knit you together in your mother's womb. How he calls you his masterpiece. How he says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Or maybe it's not his physical creation around you. Maybe this week you need to reflect on the wonder of his salvation in your life. His forgiveness, his grace, his love, his mercy, his patience, his kindness. How he lavishes these things upon us even though we don't always return them. Even though we don't always deserve them. See, we have to fight to make sure these blessings in our lives never become normal never become familiar. 
that we don't take them for granted. This is why Sabbath is so important to Christians. It's God's plan for us to develop a habit of rest. One day out of the week to slow down enough to notice his wonder. Okay, the second thing that stands in the way of gratitude, it goes a little bit deeper. It's entitlement. Entitlement is a big one because entitlement kills. I mean, it destroys a heart of gratitude. Entitlement says, I deserve this or I earned this. Uh, This is why when we get a paycheck, we don't typically say thank you because we earned that, right? We worked hard for that. But see, the problem is an entitled spirit cannot coexist with a grateful heart. There's this story in Luke chapter 7 that perfectly portrays this. There's this religious man named Simon, and he invites Jesus into his home for dinner. But, but as soon as the, the, the word gets out on the streets, this scandalous woman shows up at his doorstep. And when she sees Jesus, she comes in and she falls at Jesus' feet, weeping. And she begins washing his feet with her tears and wiping his feet with, dry with her hair, kissing them and pouring perfume on them. But when Simon sees this happening, Instead of being enthralled at her, at, her, at her trust and her faith and her, her, her just pouring herself out at Jesus' feet, instead he's disgusted. He mumbles to himself, surely this man cannot be a prophet. Otherwise, he would know how sinful this woman is who is touching him. And that's when Jesus looks up at Simon and he gives them this parable. Luke 7, verse 41, he says, Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. You see what's happening here? You see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, Simon, your entitlement is actually keeping you from me because you think you somehow earned my love. You think you deserve my forgiveness. And see, that's the issue. But here's the deal, Simon. I didn't come to compare everyone's sin to one another and only choose to forgive like the top five or 10%. No, I came for all. Simon, all have sinned all fall short of my glory. See, what you need to do, Simon, is not try harder, but to humble yourself, just like this woman is doing, to recognize that you are just like her. That's when you get to receive my forgiveness. That's when you get to recognize my love and my grace and my mercy. See, entitlement blinded Simon from recognizing God, even though he was standing in his living room. So how do we move from entitlement to gratitude? Well, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it's, it gives us the answer, right? It says, by grace, we have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So two things, by grace, so that no one can boast. 
See, that's the antidote to an entitled heart. It's humility and grace. Be humble enough to see God's grace in our life. But here's the deal, not just for salvation. No, we need to get into the habit of looking for God's grace over every area of our lives. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Sure, you work hard at your job and you earned that paycheck, but don't forget who gave you the ability to do what you do. Don't forget who gave you the health and the strength and the mind and the wisdom to do what you do every day. Don't forget who, who just gave you that, the, the air to breathe, that breath you just took, who, who causes the sun to rise, who woke you up this morning. See, we must humble ourselves enough to see our own brokenness and need for God's grace in every area of our life. That's when entitlement melts away and gratitude fills our hearts. So let me ask you, where have you experienced God's grace in your life recently? Think about it. Maybe you need to pause this and just think about it right now. And then you need to name it and thank God for it and then write it down and put it in the jar. All right, the final hindrance to a grateful heart may be the most prevalent for us today. And that's negative circumstances, hardships, trials. How do we develop a habit of gratitude when everything around us is falling apart? When our life really does hurt? Well, the answer to this question actually sits at the heart of Psalm 136. If you notice the examples used, they're not all positive. No, in fact, if we take a closer look, the specific memories recounted are actually times where Israel was faced with incredible challenges and adversity. Verse 10 to 12 remembers God's victory despite 400 years of slavery in Egypt. That's centuries of hopelessness. Verse 13, it's all about the Israelites as they faced the Red Sea, as their enemies are barreling down. I mean, that's a moment of great terror and fear. Verse 16 is about wandering around in the dryness of the wilderness, a, a place of confusion, a place of a disorientation. See, the psalmist, he's choosing to specifically recall moments of hardship, not moments of comfort, moments of despair and difficulty, not moments of prosperity and ease. And that's the lesson for us to learn here. We can be grateful even when we're afraid, even when we're sad, even when we're desperate or discouraged or grieving. These things are not mutually exclusive. No, they actually go very well together. I read a story recently that demonstrates this deeply. It's about a teenager named Tyler Trent who was diagnosed with osteosarcoma as a high school sophomore. The cancer took most of his right arm and his pelvis in high school, and then it eventually took Tyler's life at the age of 21. Such a tragic story, I can't even imagine. But as I was reading about Tyler's battle with cancer and his attitude through it, I found a few quotes today that I think can help us. When Tyler was placed into hospice care, this is what he said. He said, nobody knows the amount of days that we have left. 
Some could say we are all in hospice to a certain degree. So why don't we act like it? Where is your gratitude? What are you thankful for? I'm just thankful I can give my family Christmas presents, maybe even for one last time. Let's not forget that my doctors gave me three months to live almost two and a half months ago. So why can't we live grateful lives? Why can't we make every day count like it's our last? Wow. Talk about a heart of gratitude. Even in the middle of hardship, even in the middle of suffering, we can learn so much from Tyler here. Another article I read was about Tyler's favorite verse. And it wasn't Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No, it was 1 Thessalonians 5.18. The one we just said earlier, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. I mean, that's the verse that he chose as he battled cancer. It's almost like hardship accelerated his heart of gratitude. And so how does that happen? Well, this is our final and most important lesson from Psalm 136. And it's found uh, right at the heart of the Psalm in that repeated phrase, his love endures forever. See, here's the deal, guys. Above all, the psalmist is giving thanks to God, not for his rescue, not for him coming through in all these circumstances. No, he's giving thanks to God because of his enduring love. In Hebrew, that phrase is translated chesed, and it means God's covenant love towards his people. And here's what makes chesed so special. It's experienced most during life's hardest trials. Because think about it. We don't need that enduring love when we're comfortable. No, we need it when life is crushing us. That's when we get to experience God's love to the greatest degree. It's like a father who picks up his child when they fall. That's when that child gets to experience their father's love most. It isn't when they're healthy. It isn't when they're running around in the backyard. No, it's when they fall. It's when they get hurt. It's when they're sick. It's when they cry out and their dad is there and he picks them up immediately and he whispers in their ear, it's going to be okay. I'm right here. I'll always be right here because I love you. See, this is the love that we get to experience most during times of trial. And that's why we can give thanks in every circumstance. Because the more things in our lives are stripped away, the more we experience and realize the depth and beauty of God's enduring love. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters. Because everything in this life can be stripped away, but his love will endure forever. To close today, I want to ask you to imagine with me the night before Christ went to the cross. Go with me to that upper room where he is seated with his disciples, celebrating that Passover meal together, taking communion, that first communion, breaking bread, drinking wine, as he explains to them how his body is about to be broken, how his blood is about to be shed for the forgiveness of their sins so that they might have eternal life. At the end of the meal, 
Matthew 26, verse 30, and Mark 14, verse 26, they both say the same thing, that Jesus and his disciples, they sang one final song together. And guess what that psalm was? It had to be Psalm 136. The closing lyrics of what's known as the great Hallel. The song sang at the end of every Jewish Passover. In other words, as Jesus sat on the doorsteps of death, he sang a song of gratefulness. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. 26 times Jesus sang that line. His love endures forever. I like to believe that chorus was stuck in Jesus's head as he was led to the cross. When those Roman guards came and took him away, I like to believe that his heart sang the chorus, his love endures forever. When they beat him and mocked him and spit on him and shamed him, his heart sang, his love endures forever. As he carried the physical weight and the spiritual weight of that cross and the the cup of God's wrath, his heart sang the chorus, his love endures forever. And finally, as he breathed those final breaths, knowing separation from his father was imminent, but so was the hope of resurrection. His heart sang the chorus, his love endures forever. And so that's what I wanna leave you with today. That picture of Jesus on the cross with the chorus of Psalm 136 echoing through his heart, his love endures forever. Because here's the deal, Jesus is the illustration of Psalm 136. We can stand today in complete confidence that God's love endures forever because Jesus Christ proved it to us on the cross. And see, when we reflect on that, our only possible response is a heart of gratitude. We say, thank you, Jesus. Because of your enduring love for us, may our gratitude towards you endure forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for showing up in every situation, for giving us exactly what we need every single day, for the wonderful creation around us and even within us. We thank you for the grace that you bestow on us and you give to us every single day, even though we don't deserve it. But above all else, We thank you for your enduring love that you so lavishly give us that we don't deserve, but we get to have. And thank you for your son. As we go out about our week, I pray that we would continue to look upon you, continue to remember and recall your love so that we can develop this heart of gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.